Today our scripture comes from Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 16. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Eternal God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together be acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So there's this inside joke among pastors that every pastor is really preaching one sermon throughout their entire life and that it's our job to find out what our one sermon is. And the joke is that if you've listened to any given pastor for a while, you start to notice the things that they say a lot and the topics and the stories that they use. You start to become familiar with that pastor's style of preaching and the way that they look at the Bible and the world. And now I say this because some of you might have gotten a sense of deja vu as you read the sermon title for today. You might have thought to yourself, didn't, didn't she just preach this sermon? Well, kind of. Exactly five weeks ago, I was in the middle of our last sermon series based on our vision and mission statements. Let's say them now just for fun. Our vision is to be a church of hope, healing, and belonging that loves and serves all through Christ our Lord. And our mission is to inspire all people to seek God, grow in their faith, discover their purpose, serve others, and make a difference. It was five weeks ago that I preached a sermon on grow in their faith. So if this title felt familiar to you, or if you thought I just did this, gold star. However, I am going to approach today's sermon a little bit differently, partially because we're in a different series and the context of this topic is a little bit different. Before, it was assumed that faith can and should grow. Uh, but now we're in this series called Untangling Faith and it becomes a very real question. How does that actually work? Can my faith grow? How does a person really grow in their faith? Not only is the context different, but we will be looking at a different scripture and some different ways as well. So if you heard the sermon five weeks ago, there is new content here. You don't get to sleep for the next 15 minutes. And if you haven't heard the sermon five weeks ago, you can always go back and watch it. It's on YouTube, it's on our website, and it's also on Facebook. Just a little plug for you. So the question again, how can I grow my faith? I think a similar question coming at it slightly differently might be, what is hindering my faith growth? Today, you might be in the congregation and look around and see people whose faith seems effortless. They love Jesus with their whole hearts. They serve the church. They give joyfully. And if you're being honest, you just don't get it. You may even wish that you could be like them, but you just can't figure out how they got there. Or maybe you remember someone growing up 
someone that you looked up to, someone who seemed to have the kind of faith that could move mountains. No matter what they faced, their faith in God never wavered. But your faith never grew to those levels, and you wonder why. Why is their faith like a roaring bonfire, and my faith sometimes little more than just a glowing ember? Well, I think the capacity for our faith is contained in the way that we answer one question. And it's the question found in our scripture passage for today as Jesus is talking to his disciples about the rumors surrounding who the Son of Man is. They said that some said it was John the Baptist, others Elijah, others Jeremiah or a different prophet. But then Jesus asked the all-important question. Who do you say I am? That's the real question. That's the question that gets to the heart of faith. Who do you say that Jesus is? Or who is Jesus to you? It was Simon Peter was the one who answered the question in the moment. And he confesses his faith when he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. For Peter, these other prophets and holy men were just that. They were prophets. They were holy men. But Jesus was something else entirely. For Peter, Jesus was more than just a man. He was the son of the living God. And knowing who Jesus was changed Simon Peter's life. Who do you say I am? I want you to turn to someone next to you this morning. And I want you to answer this question in a few short words or statements. Who do you say that Jesus is? And what does that mean to you? So turn to someone near you. Hopefully you sat close to someone you like. If not, you get to make friends today. Who do you say that Jesus is? And what does that mean to you? Take a couple moments and do that. If you're watching at home, same thing. Turn to someone. Who is Jesus to you? So I'm curious, uh, there was a very loud, and then it just got, got really quiet. So that either meant that you guys went, I don't know, or you were very confident in your answers. So what are some of the things that came out of your sharing? Who is Jesus to you? Shout out what you heard. Savior. Redeemer. Son of God. What? Father, friend, the great healer, the one and only. Anything else that Jesus is, or did you all use those? Love. Ooh, that's a good one. So I want to. I want to share how this works because what i've said is that what you how you answer that question 
it uh, tells me what kind of capacity for faith that you have. So if all Jesus is to you is a good guy, which I didn't hear anyone say, or maybe a good teacher, that's going to limit your faith in Jesus. Because your faith in Jesus will go as far as your faith in your favorite elementary teacher, right? They're good people. We're grateful for them. But at the end of the day, they're just another person, right? They're limited, maybe even flawed. Now, if Jesus is just a prophet to you, but not God incarnate, you might have a belief in Jesus similar to our Muslim and Jewish friends who do believe that Jesus existed. They often will say that he was a prophet, that he's an interesting person. He has some good things to say, but they don't really have any sense of that Jesus has authority in their lives. That you can sort of take or leave Jesus' teachings as you see fit. But, but if Jesus is the Son of God, if Jesus is God incarnate, if Jesus is the Word made flesh, then nothing is impossible for Jesus. If Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, the resurrected one, then nothing is beyond his ability to heal or to redeem. And if this is what you truly believe, your faith, like the love and power of Christ, will have no bounds. The more we learn about who Jesus is, the stronger our faith can grow. The less we know about Jesus, the less we we will have faith in him. But we are blessed with more examples of what faithfulness looks like than just Jesus. That's the greatest example, but scripture gives us other people who lived lives of faith that we can also turn to to help understand what it looks like to grow in our faith. We can look to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. It's also known as the Hall of Faith. Here we find examples of people all throughout scripture who were known for their great faith. People like Abraham and Noah and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Rahab and others. And we're meant to be inspired by their stories, but including them as heroes of faith also teaches us some really important things. And these things are especially important for those of us who might struggle with our faith, especially if we have some limiting beliefs that have become entangled in our hearts and minds. In Hebrews, faith is described as the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. And all the people that I've listed and that are listed in Hebrews 11 are praised for their faith. But I want you to hear this. It doesn't make them perfect people. You do not need to be a perfect person to have a great faith. If we read the stories of people like Abraham, who was described as the father of our faith, we begin to see that even making mistakes doesn't disqualify us from having genuine faith in God. Sometimes we think that if we have messed up, that God will not want us and that faith really isn't something for us. But some of the greatest heroes 
of faith have made mistakes, including Abraham. If you read his story, after a while, you start to shake your head at him a little bit. He lied twice, not once, but twice about Sarah, his wife, uh, when they would go into places because she was so beautiful and he knew that the leaders would want to pursue her. And so he'd say, well, she's my sister. Well, that's not technically a lie, which is a whole other story. But he didn't tell them the truth, and it cost him a lot. Both times that he did it, he didn't have faith. And yet, and yet, even though he messed up in those moments, he is still a hero of faith. So I want you to hear that. Abraham wasn't perfect, but he still had genuine faith in God. Our past mistakes do not have to hinder our faith in God because nothing can disqualify you from having faith in God. Do you hear that? Do you hear that today? It's not just Abraham. Noah is considered faithful, although every single person that he knew thought he was crazy. Every person, while he was building that ark, were like, what are you doing? What are you doing? You are delusional. So I want you to hear the good news in the story of Noah is that the perception and opinions of others cannot disqualify you from having a real faith. Other people may think that you're crazy. They may not take you seriously. They may think, who knows what they think of you? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what other people, what they say that you are. You can still have a genuine faith in God. Speaking of Noah... It's interesting in the hall of faith that Noah's father and grandfather are not mentioned. Well, it's because that their their stories were not so faithful. So I want you to hear this. If you come from a family or a line of people who are not faith-filled people, if you come from a situation in your past that is less than holy, it does not disqualify you from having a genuine faith. People assume because I'm a pastor that I have come from a line of pastors. No, I am not. My father was a mechanic. My mother stayed at home. I think the nearest clergy relative we have is my, I have a, my dad has a cousin who was in the Salvation Army. I don't, I don't do this because I came from a line of incredibly faithful people who led f- flocks for God. No, I, it feels like I came out of the middle of nowhere. My parents are faithful people, but you would not catch them in a pulpit. That is not their calling. <laughs> Faith is less ab- about us, really. And it's more about who we believe God to be and what we believe that God can do. It's not about where we came from. It's not about who we came from. It's not about what we have done in the past. Faith is about what we believe that God is up to. So we grow our faith by knowing more about God, learning from the faith of others, remembering what God has done in our own lives and in the lives of others, and then living out what we believe. And that final piece, that living out what we believe, That's the work of discipleship. And that is a big part of what we do in the church. 
Discipleship is about growing our faith, but it's also about living out our faith by practicing what we preach. What's another cliche I can use here? It's about talking the talk and walking the walk or something like that, right? (coughs) And we do that through what we call the means of grace, which are works of piety and works of mercy. We live out our faith by devoting time to growing in our love of the triune God. We live out our faith by loving and serving others. But all of this takes time and it takes intention. Now you may remember this from last fall, but we have a discipleship program in our church called Disciples Developing Disciples that begins by taking stock of where you are right now. Are you someone today that that wants to grow in your faith, but you're just not sure how to take that first step? You're not sure what you should be doing in order to help your faith to grow? Well, guess what? We can help you. I feel like I'm on an infomercial right now. I've got the thing for you today. Today, I I, I did not warn her, um, but Marilyn is our disciples developing disciples coordinator. Marilyn, would you just like stand and wave? This is Marilyn. Uh, If you're interested, if you haven't, the way you begin the Disciples Developing Disciples program is you take something called a soul scan. This is the front side of it. And it just is a way for you to take stock of where you are right now. Using this idea that we have the means of grace to help us to grow. What are the ways that we are intentionally working to grow in our faith in God? To grow in our knowledge of God? To grow in our capacity to serve and love others? That these are all parts of how we uh, work in our discipleship. Uh, some of you took the soul scan back in the fall and you've been working with Marilyn in, in some small groups to help work on your goals for growing in your faith. Today, if you are interested, um, we can get some copies of the soul scan after church, but I want you to talk with Marilyn and you'll turn that into me and then she'll follow up with you. And, and really what we do is we try to help you by encouraging you by uh, resourcing you with some ideas of things that can help you to grow in your faith. But I want you to know that part of this program isn't to be like, oh man, you did terrible on this. No, that's not what we do. Instead, you get to see where you are and you get to say what you want to work on. And then we are here to help. I got this idea of the soul scan. I'm a member of a gym. I know you guys have heard me talk about it. If you want to know what my one sermon illustration is, it's being in the gym. Uh, We have to take body scans. And it doesn't just tell you your weight. It tells you the percentage of muscle in your different areas and fat. (laughs) But it's helpful because we take them every few months. And even if the, the weight number on the scale doesn't change your body composition can change and you can see progress and improvement in ways that just the scale alone can't tell you and the soul scan works in the same way you take it as your baseline this is where i am right now and then in a few months after being intentional about your faith development you take it again and you can start to see oh man i actually have noticed that i I feel closer to god i'm more at peace I I really have found that I enjoy this spiritual discipline. And you can begin to work systematically 
at growing in your faith and finding the ways to trust in God and to trust in God's provision for you. And so I want you that this is one of the ways that we do that here in the church. Um, And so I want you to utilize this resource if you haven't already. Because it's truly our desire that you experience a deep and meaningful relationship with Jesus Christ. And that it will transform your life. I pray today that whatever is tangled up in your heart and mind, including the doubts and questions and limiting beliefs, that those things can become untangled in the days and weeks ahead through the grace of God. And I pray that we as a church can grow together in genuine faith. Amen?